Great to have you back in the Trojan Talk podcast. I'm Ryan Young, publisher of Trojansports.com, and we're going to talk USC football as we do. No preamble today, no intro, no rambling. We've got a lot to hit on. We've got our resident Trojansports.com analyst, Max Brown, on the program for a full, full, full segment. We'll talk about the Caleb Williams GQ article and the quote from his father, Carl Williams, about the NFL draft. We will talk about Raleigh Brown and his status and future with the program. Max and I will both give you the five things we think we learned through the first two games of the season, which, again, is always subject to change once we get in the conference play and learn more. We had some overlap, but also some different takeaways. And then we'll talk Stanford quickly. Do a quick overview of USC's opponent Saturday. First Pac-12 game of the season, Stanford. And that will be the show. And there's no reason to delay anymore. Let's get right into it. Here we go. Okay, as promised, as we do every week during the USC football season, we welcome on our resident Trojansports.com analyst, Max Brown, the former USC quarterback. Max, how are you doing? What's up, Ryan? Doing well. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. So looking forward to the start of the conference play. We should learn a lot more about this team, this game, even though Stanford wasn't Definitely. picked very very highly in the preseason poll, of course, but it's still a difference going up from playing Nevada to Stanford. But there is nonetheless plenty to break down from those first two games, and we're going to have fun with that today. We're each going to give our five things we've learned through the first two weeks. We'll see if they line up, see if they differ. Probably some overlap there, but we'll find out. We'll get into some other stuff. But before we do, any anything on the top of your mind come off of last week that just really stuck with you these last few days? Nothing, nothing crazy. I feel like it's been a weird start to the season just with two games where you kind of walk away being like, yep, that's the team we, you know, that's kind of the team we thought, right? Offense being crazy explosive and then defense – um, I thought last week showed a lot, lot more promise, but obviously that first pass, you know, they uh, let that get away from them. But the schedule is goofy this year in that, you know, you're going to have, uh, I don't know how much we'll learn even this week against Stanford, and then it'll be geared up. So excited to play Stanford. We'll get into it at the end. I thought Stanford would be absolutely terrible this year. They yeah. actually showed respectable on defense against Hawaii uh, this past week. So a team that USU should take care of business, but um, again, we'll, uh, we'll we'll see. Well, let's start with some some newsy stuff that uh, that unfolded the last few days, and and we'll start with Caleb Williams, who is naturally and deservedly receiving a lot of national attention. He's kind of the face of college football now, as he should be, and along with that comes commercials like the Heisman House commercials, which have been entertaining, and. Uh, a big GQ story that dropped on Wednesday. The big nugget that everyone clinged to in that GQ feature was a quote from Caleb's father, Carl Williams, where he said, quote, he's got two shots at the Apple, the Apple being the NFL, NFL draft. Uh, so if there's not a good situation, the truth is he can come back to school. I've talked to Lincoln and Kyler struggled because of where he was drafted. Interesting for a few reasons. First of all, the reference to Kyler, who was, of course, drafted by Cliff Kingsbury, USC senior offensive analyst. So maybe a, uh, maybe a little awkwardness in the building yesterday as that quote circulated around. But 
uh, Carl Williams posturing that uh, it's not a lock that Caleb Williams enters the NFL draft this year if they see the draft order and don't like the potential destination. Before I get your opinion, let me just throw out one uh, thing. I use the word posturing because I have to imagine that's all that is because last year's number one pick, Bryce Young, of course, got a $24.6 million signing bonus and $37.9 million guaranteed and an average annual salary of $9.48 million. You are not going to replicate that even in the era of NIL. Why would you want to wait a year to be paid like a uh, king? I can't imagine that there is any chance Caleb returns to school. Max, your thoughts? I agree with that. I don't think there's any chance he returns to school. When this headline came out, I had a lot of friends that were like, oh, what's he doing, man? He needs to, he needs to take a page out of Matt Barkley's book. Look what happened with Barkley when he came back a year, right? His draft stock, you know, plummeted. Obviously, Caleb's not where Matt Barkley is. But I didn't have that emotional reaction right away because to me, this is all business. This is Caleb's dad. I mean, these negotiations are all about leverage, all about leverage. And if he plants this seed that there's any way that Caleb can come back to school, well, then maybe, t- you know, if, if it's insert suspect franchise come come February and March of next year, well, maybe there's concern that, you know, like, like you said, Caleb could come back and there's a world where Caleb could force a trade in that scenario, like we saw with John Elway decades ago, like we saw with Eli Manning most recently. And I mean, that that's the proof in the pudding, pudding right there. I mean, um, especially Eli Manning. I mean, the, I guess the Chargers ended up turning the corner. I guess Philip Rivers had a good career. But, like, this, this would not be the first time that we saw this. And Caleb is unlike any other – or he's, he's in the class of that John Elway conversation where he has – obviously, Caleb doesn't have baseball like Elway did, but this is that leverage, right? In the NIL world, it's not, hey, I'm going to go play baseball. It's, hey, I could come, I could come back to school and make – insert this amount of money um especially at a school like usc so i think i think posturing is the perfect word i don't think it's it's ultimately real but i do think it's a leverage point and i do think there's a scenario where if that top school in the draft next year is not something the williams family likes they use this as part of their way to maybe get a trade or some some scenario it's better suited for them yeah absolutely that caleb incorporated has been very calculated throughout his entire football career in, in terms of uh, everything's been geared toward being in the best situation to get to the next level, to to become the best player in football. I think this is just another part of the calculated process. And of course, Caleb was asked about it after practice Wednesday, and as expected, and as he should, didn't engage on the topic and said he's focused on Stanford and, and the 10 games he has left this regular season, plus whatever is to come after that. So that will be the end of that matter for now. But while we're on Caleb, I want to bring up another quote. This is from Lincoln Riley after the game Saturday. Mind you, uh, this is after Caleb Williams threw for five touchdowns and for the season is now 36 of 49 for 597 yards, nine touchdowns, and zero picks. Uh, Riley was asked, is Caleb where you want him to be right now? He goes, ah, hard question to answer, honestly. (laughs) He's improving. I can't say I'm like disappointed with how he's played, but he's got to get better, right? What word do we use for this? Is is this just uh, obviously you don't want to ever be complacent or or get too content, but it's I. What do you make of of, of that of that tact by Riley? 
first gut when I saw, gut reaction when I saw that on Sunday was that's a coach that knows he has a quarterback that's as confident as any player in college football, and this is his way of grounding him and keeping him sharp. And it's not a, situ- a situation where the coach needs to instill confidence in him and and praise him and things like that because you know Caleb, you know Caleb's 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 got that department covered. So I was like, yeah, it's a little harsh, Lincoln. Like whatever, coach speak kind of thing. But I'll say this. I will say this. I watched the film, and there are – I thought Caleb missed two checkdowns in last game, um, one of which was ironically uh, one of the big plays that he you know, got away with, so to speak. Um, but I thought he had a checkdown right in front of his face that he just missed. And so I'm sure from, from Lincoln's perspective, it's those types of plays. There was two checkdowns, and then there was one, I think, gig route that he ended up tucking down and, 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 and running um, that I thought, like, you know, if you're grading out your quarterback – especially when you look forward to playing the Utahs of the world and things like that. Um, those are throws that I thought he, he or reads that I thought he missed. Again, if it's any other quarterback in the country, that's just part of the game, right? You're, you're, you're just, when you evaluate, you're saying, hey, you know your, he's going to miss a couple reads a game. But with Caleb, the standard's so high that I'm sure it's those types of plays that Lincoln goes to. But don't get me wrong. Huge portion of that is just coach talk. I think it's challenging. I think it's 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 not it's it's uh, it's it's Lincoln knowing that he's got a confident quarterback. Don't let him get complacent. But I do think there were a couple throws there that I'm sure on the headset set Lincoln saying, "Check the ball down, get the completion, and move move on, so we can protect yourself." And it's not something that bites us in the butt here when we're playing a better team. Yeah, and that, that makes total sense. It still entertains me though. <laughs> That's a cool yeah. I, I was going to ask him on Trojans Live. I was like. I mean, you look at his his quarterback since he's been a head coach. Like, I wonder if he like is upstairs upstairs breaking the film down, being like, "Man, I'm lucky," or is he just like, "This is the standard." Like, I I almost wonder if he realizes how good he has it, or is he just like, "Nope, this is the byproduct of my evaluation and my coaching." I, I just it'd be interesting to get the true the true uh, true color there. I think he does realize, and I think he also feels a responsibility of this is a generational talent who probably could be. Eight percent better, or whatever the percentage is, and it's it's my job to get him there. I, I think that's probably more of what it is than anything, which uh, yeah, which makes for for an exciting subplot to this season of of can Caleb be even better than he's been? We'll see. The other news of the week was Relief Brown, of course, and and just I don't know if it was was it a week ago was it yeah it was our first podcast last week we were talking about. This being a pivotal year for guys like Rajon Davis and Corey Foreman uh, as juniors, and what do they do if they're not playing early in the season? Do they have to consider the Gary Bryant redshirt route and, and transfer? Well, we'll get to Rajon Davis later. Obviously, he's on a different track now, it looks like. But the player we didn't talk about was Relique Brown. Or we might have hit on it briefly, but he wasn't part of that conversation specifically. Relique Brown played 14 snaps in the opener, and then last week at the game was was not on the sideline was not in uniform was not out of uniform just wasn't spotted in the coliseum he was back at practice this week so i asked lincoln riley after practice tuesday what that meant for brown's status because there had been reports out there about him considering red shirting his father had been quoted a few places saying that and riley said yeah he's looking at the possibility of red shirting that's part of the world right now we'll see what happens you know, I can still certainly foresee him being a big part of the team this year. You just never know week to week, and you never know as years go on, different opportunities present themselves. 
So he's going to continue the work. We're going to continue to develop him like crazy. I still believe he's got an outstanding skill set that fits us in a lot of ways. And then he went on to talk about the transition that Brown made uh, to be a full-time slot receiver and how it's more challenging than people realize on the outside and that it's it's not going to always be instant right away. What do you make of the whole relief Brown situation? Yeah, and it was going to be one of my uh, points about what we've uh, mm. what we've learned what we've learned this season. Um, I think it's um, what's the right word. I I, I think it's one of those types of deals where it's surprising at first glance, but then I look back and I'm like, well, yeah, you could have seen this coming a little bit, right? There's, I just think it's so tough with Relique's skill set where he is and somewhat a gadget guy, at least in the scope of the USC offense. I use this comp all the time in my, in my uh, daily life. If Relique Brown went to Pitt, my other alma mater, he'd be the best offensive weapon Defenses would be focusing on him and how to contain him. He'd be the front of mind in every jet sweep. He'd be the slot receiver. He'd get he carries out of the backfield, and he would be their most explosive offensive weapon. You go to USC, and it's just hard to be that Swiss Army knife type Swiss Army knife type of player because you have other guys that hey Zachariah Branch might be a better true receiver. You might have. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd's a better true running back. And then you just find yourself in this kind of no man's land. Tosh Washington's a better blocker and maybe downfield threat at, at, at this time. Like you just find yourself in no man's land. And it's not that he's a bad player. I think he's a great football player. I think he's really excited. And I'm sure there's a lot of head coaches around the country that saw that had their recruiting department walk into their office and say, Hey, look at what ha- what's happening with really Brown at USC. Like this is a guy we should keep our eye on. I guarantee that happened at a few a few uh, a few places around the country. So to me, it's one of those things where it's unfortunate for Relique, but I, I, and I was surprised initially, but then when you backtrack, it just it makes sense. And I think if Relique is inclined to stay at USC, I certainly think there's a future for him, especially as he gets more uh, comfortable at the receiver position. But um, at this point, there's just enough guys on this team that have comparable skill sets to him and are better in maybe other areas that. It's a tough transition to make, and for all the expectations that Relique had coming into USC, I mean, he was the prize jewel of last uh, last recruiting class. That pressure, that I'm sure that's a factor as well in terms of that urgency and why he's already announcing that he's redshirting. Like, I think mentally more than anything, just given the expectations, that'll be uh, that'll be something that Relique will have to uh, have to battle, and hopefully, hopefully he can. Yeah, I have three thoughts on this. And, and first of all, just to clarify, he, he has not officially said that. His dad said that they were leaning that direction, thinking that way. And Riley has said that he's thinking about it, or at least thinking about redshirting. And we'll see what happens. Of course, you know, with the way it works, you can play in four games and still redshirt. He's only played in one. So uh, a decision that doesn't have to be made right away. We'll see what happens there. My three thoughts, though, at first, is a positive for USC. It just speaks to the talent level on this roster. Because any of those final handful of Helton teams that I, that I covered, they had Relique Brown. It wouldn't have mattered how he was practicing, how proficient he was at picking up a new position. He would have been out there as a, as a focal point guy. But the talent level is what it is now where you can't just obviously assume that. There are equally talented guys in front of him blocking him. Uh, two is I, I've always wondered about the, the concept of of guys who are maybe more Saturday players than than Monday through Friday players. And you would know far better than me about uh, how 
realistic that yeah. is, that concept. And I'll ask you in a second about it. But I've always thought about it with, with Rajon Davis. It kind of came to fruition in the Cotton Bowl last year when he got thrown in there. And everyone was like, whoa, okay, this guy was pretty impactful. Why isn't he playing? And the reason why he's not playing is because he, he wasn't winning those reps in practice. He wasn't earning those reps in practice. But is that maybe coming at a cost to the team when when a guy just has natural instincts and, and just adapts to Saturdays? Uh, with Relic, I have no doubt right now, no doubt, that if they forced him into the game plan and used him, he'd look just, just like he did last year. He scored six touchdowns last year, despite being hampered by a high ankle sprain for most of the season as a true freshman. So the, the talent is unquestionably there. And if he played this Saturday and got 20 touches, he'd probably do something special with it. That said, I then build off that thought and go, well, how do you get them on the field at whose expense? Not at Marshawn Lloyd's expense at running back, obviously. Not any of those running backs at in the, in the slot. Are you going to take Taj Washington out when he has three touchdowns through two games? Are you going to cost him snaps? Are you going to cost Zachariah Branch snaps when he has three touchdowns to an offense through two games? Mario Williams on down the list. So to give relief Brown snaps <clears throat> has to come at the, at the expense of somebody else. And all of those guys have earned more than they're already getting themselves. So in a different situation, I might be advocating more for the, listen, the guy's talented. Does it really matter if he was awesome on Tuesday and Wednesday? You know he's going he's gonna to rise to the occasion on Saturday. But in this case, I cannot advocate for that because of just the depth of talent that is currently blocking him. Let me ask you about that concept about the Saturday player. Is, is there one guy that comes to mind to you that was just maybe not the crispest practice player, but you knew on Saturday is what you were getting? Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good question. Who comes to mind there? Um, well, I would say big picture, the concept itself, I, I think it's a phenomenal point by you. And I think for me, it's more of just a, a confidence things too. Like if Relique Brown's rolling out there Monday through Friday and in the back of, back of his mind, if he's worried that he misses a block on a run play and that's the difference between him playing or Tosh Washington playing for an athlete like Relique mentally, that can, that can sometimes cripple an athlete like that where you're overthinking so much. And back to my pit point, like I saw guys on my pit team that like they knew they weren't getting benched. They knew they're the best athlete on the field. And I think as a result, they play freer rather than like looking over their shoulder. And it's not, and it's not to say that block, that I'm referencing doesn't matter, but I think it's just a different mindset. And I think it's also why you see that type, that type of thought process is why you see guys have success when they transfer to other schools that might be lesser. And it's like, where was this at the other school? It's that confidence. It's that mentality, um, things of that nature. I think for me, um, there's one guy that sticks out. I don't want this to sound like he was a bad practice player, but Jonathan Lockett was a corner on my team back in the uh, 2015, 16, 17 days. Got very little run over the course of his USC career, but he was a really good corner. And it, it, it taps into this whole mindset of like, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're just kind of the odd man out in a structure at that time that had Iman Marshall and it had Dory Jackson at times. And it's, you know, it's just it, sometimes you can be an odd man out um, in that scenario. But in terms of in a guy that it didn't maybe practice but then showed out, I mean, I guess the, the most popular one is, Javarius Buck Allen, um, the running back, played for the Ravens for a while. He was Cody Kessler's running back. Um, again, I he would argue like, oh, I was a great practice player. Fair. 
but it took him like three years to get on the field because he was behind Silas Red. He was behind Trey Madden. And for whatever reason, didn't necessarily flash in practice. But the second you got into a game, he balled out, found himself as an NFL draft pick. But it took him three years as a running back to get on the field at USC. And then once he got on the field, it was electric. The narrative was, oh, how could he not? How could he not have uh, played earlier? But you just don't always see what happens behind the scenes in practice. And, you know, there's only there's only 13, 14, 15 games a season. Like, there's not that many data points to evaluate guys. And you got to execute in practice to get on the field on Saturday. Fair enough. To your earlier point, if, if Relique did end up at, a, at another school that was not so – such an abundance of wealth in terms of speed and talent like that, I think he'd have a monster season anywhere. So certainly uh, USC fans will hope that things resolve and uh, he, he finds the, uh, the comfort to stay and, and grow in this offense and, and get his chances. Uh, but it'll be a storyline to monitor all season. We, we saw it with Gary Bryant last year where he pulled the plug after three games but still practiced all year on the scout team. And even all the way through the bowl game in Texas, Gary Bryant was there <clears throat> on the travel roster uh, practicing during the week. So I imagine Relique will do the same thing and just kind of keep, keep his options open and we'll see where it goes from there. All right, Max. Uh, actually, before we get to our main segment, our five things, we didn't do this last week. We didn't spotlight your favorite Lincoln Riley play design or just the one play that really uh, captured your imagination the most. But we're going to start doing that each and every week moving forward from here. What was the one play from the win over Nevada that really stuck with you or stood out to you? Yeah, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm actually going to go back to uh, to week one because we didn't highlight it. And I think it's that important. I'm going to go to Zachariah Branch's catches um, because I think there's a ripple effect that will happen throughout the rest of the season that USC fans should uh, keep an eye out for. So Zachariah Branch had six catches, three of which were on the same exact play. It, it goes it go, or I should say concept, same exact concept. Um, and it goes hidden a little bit because Lincoln Riley doctors it up with different formations and different motions and different run actions. But it's a very simple play, and it, it, it's it got a triple option vibe to it relative to uh, some of the, the listeners that might might miss those days of uh, before, before the spread offense days. But it starts with a basic zone read between Caleb and the running back, like we've seen a million times the past 15 years. Caleb's going to read the defensive end on the front side. If the defensive end crashes down with the running back, Caleb will pull it. At that point, just like we saw in the Nevada game, Caleb's legs are a huge factor in the run game there. When I played football, at that point, it was very basic to just have a simple bubble screen on the outside, right? You read, read the end, if you pull it, then at that point you're reading the linebacker and you have a bubble screen. Lincoln's added a whole other layer onto it where he'll put Zachariah Branch at like that wing position. You could start, you would call it a slot. I call it more of a wing. It's somewhat of a hybrid where you're close behind the tackle there. And what, what that does is they act like Zachariah is either going to block. They, they act like he could either go on like a vertical route. But either way, he stays patient and then darts towards the flat. And so what happens when Caleb pulls that ball, imagine if you're a linebacker or that safety at that point where you're coming up to defend Caleb, you think you're getting blocked by Zachariah Branch, and then all of a sudden he goes boom and dashes towards the flat, dashes towards the sideline. At that point, in an absolute millisecond, you have to make a business decision. Do I go and defend Zachariah Branch in the flat, 
or do I hang with Caleb's legs? As we saw in the week one matchup, the flat ended up being wide open and it was easy throws to branch out in the flat. And you're getting an explosive playmaker with the ball in his hands in a very easy, simple fashion. These are my favorite types of plays. And this is why I think Lincoln is a great play caller because that read is so simple for Caleb Williams. It's a very simple, simple play. But it's so it's it's relatively complex for the defense and in and in, in, in how they're having to to communicate and how they're having to react. And the reason I'm highlighting here is it happened three times in that in that week one matchup. You're going to see Lincoln use different iterations of that all the time. Whether it's bringing Zachariah Branch in motion, whether it's bringing him behind the quarterback, whether it's him doing that thing where sometimes they go in motion and they dart back towards the side that they came, whether it's him stalling for a little bit and then going on vertical routes right behind the linebackers. I think there's more to come in that concept. Keep your eye out when number one's hanging around the backfield a little bit and some of those zone read options. I think there's some exciting things in store for uh, for Branch in that uh, in that position. I love it. That's awesome. Great stuff, Max. And I'll definitely, yeah. I'm going to go back and watch those plays again now and, and see what you're talking about. That's that's really high level. Uh, uh, chess, I, posted, but... I posted a uh, I posted a clip for those interested on my uh, social medias, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you're at. So uh, it's uh, it's in there. Posted last week. Check it out. Check it out. Okay. Well, as I tease at the top of the show, we are going to do the five things that we've learned through two games, and we both made our list independently. We have not uh, talked about these to this point, so we could have the five exact same things or be totally different. And we'll just take turns going and see how much overlap there is. Max, what is the first thing on your list of five that you've learned through two games or think you've learned yeah, through two games? I love yeah, I love this format. This will be fun. Um, I'll pick up right where I left off on the Relique Brown point, and I'll keep this relatively quick. Um, we've learned that Relique Brown and Corey Foreman will not have roles on this team unless, uh, unless injuries happen, um, which – for the fan that's followed closely to USC this offseason, I don't know how much of a true surprise that is, but it, I think when you look back or take the 10,000-square-foot view, um, like that is a little bit surprising, just given the narratives of last season, right? Those were, you could make the argument, you know, two of the most compelling players on this USC roster a year ago, and yet we find ourselves now, um, they don't have roles on this team, which, again, speaks to the depth of this team. But uh, and I don't mean to be negative per se, but it also it feels like, um, you know, the, the Corey Foreman project uh, is not going to come to fruition. And hopefully, you know, he gets gets an opportunity and, you know, has has a successful back end of his career. We'll, we'll see what happens to him. But I think, you know, for where he was recruited at, I think that's something just to just to note, especially with how many guys USC is playing for him to not have a role, I think, is is relatively noteworthy at, at this point. And then, yeah, like we, like we talked about, Relique Brown, I think uh, if you had said that a year ago, people would have laughed at you straight up. I think that would have been an extremely hot take. But here we are a year later with um, some more added skill players on this roster. And, uh, yeah, number 14 can't find, uh, can't find a role. But I, I do think it is smart to do that redshirt role for him. It might not be old school, but – to save that year, I do think that's a that's a smart smart uh, smart choice by him. It would have been a scintillatingly hot take a year ago, and I, I spent the entire off season hyping up what is Lincoln Riley going to do with Zachariah Branch and Relique Brown on the field at the same time? Oh, the ways that he can he can leverage those abilities and that speed, and here we are. So I'm as surprised as anybody. 
but yes, definitely something we've learned from the first two games. With Corey Foreman, he played a couple snaps in the opener, had missed a lot of time in camp, so that wasn't a surprise. Got 10 snaps last week, and that was a, in a 66-14 win. So uh, it is hard to see his path to a bigger role when they have so much depth up front, which is my first thing I've learned. The defensive line depth is legit. It is legit. This is just a night and day unit from last season, and almost all the names I'm going to highlight are new, so I kind of speaks to that. But Bear Alexander has been as advertised, as expected, as hyped. He's been a wrecking ball for the Trojans through two games. He has, according to PFF, he has more QB pressures, eight, than any other Power 5 defensive tackle. And for those that go back and watch the film, even though he's not appearing in the stat sheet as much as maybe you'd like or, or think for a player his caliber, he's flashing on film all the time. And he is getting to the backfield all the time. He is a force. And I tweeted out a clip from practice Wednesday of him just going through drills where it's, you know, kind of a basic uh, footwork agility drill. And he was so smoothly agile and fast. Like, it, it, seeing it in the isolated clip was kind of mind-blowing. And the clip's blown up on Twitter. It's gotten a ton of uh, reaction and, and feedback. But you, you just looking at Bear Alexander in any capacity, whether it's practice, whatever, you, you, see, you see why all the hype was there all the potential, the excitement, and it's showing up on Saturdays. But it's not just Bear. It's Jamil Muhammad looks the part at rush in. Anthony Lucas hasn't had maybe the full production we projected yet, but he looks the part at rush in. Braylon Shelby, the true freshman, uh, is the definition of looking the part and got in there and had the the strip sack uh, that led to Stanley T's fumble return for touchdown. You go... Jack Sullivan, Keon Bars, Solomon Burr is back from last year doing a great job. On and on and on to the point where Elijah Hughes, the true freshman, just continues to impress me so much on on film going back through the game and, and the way he maximizes his opportunities. He only played 13 snaps last week, but just like he did in the opener, he really flashed on some of those plays. And I think if this were a year ago, Elijah Hughes might be starting for this team or be one of the main rotation pieces on the defensive line. And right now he's played uh, eight snaps last week and 13 or eight snaps in week zero and 13 snaps last week because there is so much depth ahead of him that they haven't had the need or, or space to give him more. And that in itself speaks to the depth. I'm buying all the stock in this defensive front I think it's going to make a pronounced difference over the course of the season. And even though this was against San Jose State and Nevada, uh, I'm, I'm a believer. I like what I see, Max. I'm right with you. And uh, that leads me to my second point. I'll take it even a step further. I think Bear Alexander is the most irreplaceable player on this team outside of Caleb Williams. I like um, it. Yeah, to me, to me, I, I – uh, I was expecting the defensive line to be deeper. So 
my, you know, in terms of learning that, I think there was a certain expectation there. But uh, like you said, Bears as advertised. I think as I say that, Jonah Monheim, Justin Dietrich might be battling for Bear in terms of that most irreplaceable player outside of Caleb Williams. But you just look around the roster. Um, secondary, I feel like there's depth there, or at least not a difference maker per se there. Uh, linebackers deep. We've talked about how deep the D line is, but D tackle and the impact that Bear having is a different animal. Receiver super deep. I feel like uh, you can lose any one of those guys and still be extremely explosive. And so I just think Bear Alexander, especially when you talk about you know when you're playing Washington, when you're and you need a pass rush and you need a defensive uh, defensive lineman to make two big plays in that game against Michael Penix to get you over the hump. Bear Alexander is that type of guy, and I don't know if you have another guy especially interior that can make that make that impact i think utah when you need that depth that defensive tackle to to win that game in the fourth quarter you have to have bear alexander so he's as advertised i think that's awesome the quick twitch was it was a was a little bit of a surprise to me i hadn't seen a ton of film on him but i was expecting him to be a guy that just blocked the a gap and the b gap first or like held up the a gap and the b gap first and not have as much of a pass rush element to his game I was wrong there. He has the quick twitch, and he's a stud. Got to keep him healthy. But, uh, yeah, Bear Alexander, most irreplaceable player on this team outside of uh, Caleb Williams. I like it. Well said. Well said. My second most important uh, thing I've learned through two games is that this is – as I say it to myself, it's not as bull of a statement as I want it to be, but this is uh, clearly the most impactful freshman class that I've – had in my six years covering USC now. Max can maybe take it further, give more perspective, but this freshman class is the real deal all the way through. We've talked about a few of the guys. Just think about Zachariah Branch, Deuce Robinson, had a big touchdown last week. Quentin Joyner is already maybe challenging Austin Jones for that 2A, 2B role. Um, maybe, 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 perhaps that's my bold uh, statement in this in this yeah. part. Uh, Alani Noah's already started the game at guard, may have to play a lot more the rest of the stretch with Gino Quinones done for the season. Makai Lemon and Jacoby Lane got their chances early on. On defense, Tackett Curtis has started two games. Uh, Christian Pierce played 18 snaps last week. I mentioned Elijah Hughes. Sam Green got in there for a little bit. I mean, this is a uh, a ready-made freshman class. These guys are not being forced out there. They're ready to contribute. Uh, all those guys I mentioned, and uh, and there might even be more as the season goes along. And I, I think it was really beneficial for USC to have the two games to start where they did, where they could get those guys a lot of work without much yeah. uh, risk or, or or consideration. And I also think that there is an element of uh, recruiting in the back of the mind when you're playing all these freshmen uh, right away in their in their first season. It sends a statement to the guys you're recruiting. That, Look, you can come in here and play immediately. Even though we're USC, even though we're the number six team in the country and we're deep, if you're good enough, you'll play right away. And those snap counts will certainly diminish in some cases as the schedule ratchets up. But they've already made that statement to the guys they're recruiting now going, look how much Deuce Robinson's playing as a, as a true freshman. Look how much... This guy's playing uh, right off the bat. 
So I think it's very smart by the coaches to take advantage of these first two games and give those guys those opportunities, but then also just to get the experience because you never know who you're going to need to step into a bigger role later in the season. And whenever you can get them that valuable game experience, it's an asset to you for the future. So this freshman class has opened my eyes. I mean, obviously, we saw the talent when they signed with USC. We saw the talent in the spring and then fall camp. A guy like Quentin Joyner succeeding is not surprising at all because he flashed in, in the spring game. He flashed whenever we got limited snippets of practice. We heard about him all camp and teammates praising him. We hyped up Tackett Curtis before the season started, so that's not a surprise. Zachariah Branch, most definitely not a surprise. Deuce Robinson shouldn't be a surprise as a five-star guy. But I would say that the totality of what the freshmen have done is a surprise to me a little bit because it's been more than I expected. Love it. Yeah, and what a perfect timing for that too, especially in his like first full real recruiting year for Lincoln Rally. Yeah. Got to be more to, come, uh, more to come on that one. My third one is uh, I've gone through two games that this team is not going to have a true number one receiver, um, which it's been a couple of years since we've seen that. Uh, obviously, Drake Drake London a couple of years ago, and then Jordan Addison this past year, two first-round receivers. And uh, as a result, Ryan and I's comments over the past couple of years uh, in terms of breaking down the offense was a lot of, you know, Drake London getting a bunch of catches. How are they feeding him the rock so well? Jordan Addison, how, you know, big, big explosive plays that he's had. And I just get the sense through two games. You know, last week it was Tosh Washington. The first week it was Zachariah Branch. Would not surprise me at all if the next week it's Brennan Rice or uh, Hudson or, you know, I know there, Lemon's getting in there, like uh, Michael Jackson. Like, there's just a lot of bodies there. Um, and I just think it's worth noting because when you game plan for this USC offense, you know, you're not going to be able to just hone in on one single guy, which I think allows Lincoln to, it frees up Lincoln's call sheet. I think it gives USC a ton of uh, different ways to attack you. But I also think it's going to result in, you know, we're going to have three receivers right around a thousand, thousand yard mark, maybe even a fourth flirting in the 800, 900, 700 um, range. And I just think it's fun to watch. Um, it's not a negative at all. I just think it's a different mentality offensively than we've had in the past couple of years. That's, uh, that's worth noting. Um, but yeah, no true number one receiver for, uh, for USC this year. Yeah, it was one of my five on my list and I'll have, a, go. I'll, I'll have a few more thoughts. It's a time-honored tradition for me to undervalue Taj Washington. So I'm, I'm glad I could. We got we to get Marquis Step back in the action, baby. <laughs> I, ne- I never undervalued Marquis Step. <laughs> uh, that's good. What's he doing? Do you know? Um, sadly, I've, I've lost track of his uh of his oh, that's your career. guy. That's your I know. guy. I got to look up what's going on with Marquis Stepp. Oh, I, I feel bad now as you say that. I, I should have that answer for you, but I kind of lost track after the Nebraska thing didn't quite hit immediately. Uh, it's a good question. Good question. We'll, uh, Western Kentucky Hilltopper running back. He's with Tyson Helton, it looks like. Perfect. Uh, that's a perfect spot for him. He's going to show everyone this year yep. that they've been sleeping on him for uh, too many seasons. But, Love it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Taj Washington, I, I've done it again. I've done it again where I just looked at the totality of talent and I said they they brought in Dorian Singer. Zachariah Branch is going to be an immediate guy. Relief Brown's now taking those slot receiver snaps. This is my, my preseason uh, voice talking. Uh, 
on and on. Mario Williams is going to have a much bigger year. Brendan Rice is going to have a, an even bigger year. Where does Taj Washington fit in? And he fits in all over the box scores where he fits in as he has three touchdowns through two games, uh, all of them of more than 20 yards, two of them uh, pretty long touchdowns, showing his speed. So far has been very reliable with his hands, which was the one thing early in his career that was uh, his uh, was holding him back. And everything we know about Tosh Washington or hear about him is that he's just like the most uh, consummate teammate, diligent worker, head down, humble guy. So it's no surprise that he's just gotten better and better and better. But I just saw the all the talent across the board, especially in that slot position, which is the most competitive spot on the roster, I would say, uh, case in point, Relique Brown. And I just thought, well, uh, Taj might have a hard time matching his numbers from last season. He was the, the number two receiver stat-wise by the end of the year for USC. But he has... Uh, he has shown me, but to your point, he only has five catches through two games because nobody has a lot of catches. He's done all that damage with five catches. Brendan Rice has four catches through two games. Dorian Singer, who was one of the top receivers in the Pac-12 last year, and you thought, wow, he's coming in to this offense after doing what he did last year in Arizona. He's going to have a monster season. He got two targets on Saturday, last Saturday. So the, the depth across the board is uh, staggering, and I have to kind of concur with you, Max. I don't think there will be a true number one. We talked to outside receivers coach Dennis Simmons after practice Wednesday, and he was asked, and he's been asked this like 45 times, but it keeps coming up, and it, it landed with a good response yesterday. He was asked, is it like a challenge? Is it like like hard for you to decide who plays and who doesn't play and how many snaps guys get. And he kind of laughed and he goes, yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> it kind of is because, uh, because you, you can't make a wrong decision, but you also are not giving everyone what they've earned and, and deserve because it's just not possible. A pie is only so big. So it's, um, yeah, that's where we're at now. And certainly, the target distribution share can change once we get in the conference play, and I wouldn't expect it to mimic what it's done to this point. But all those guys we mentioned, Zachariah Branch might be the the most talented already of the entire receiver group. I, I don't know how you boil it down to, to one or two guys leading this team in, in, uh, in targets. I mean, last year it became clear that Jordan Addison just had a next level to him. Like there was just an extra, extra tier to what he was doing that sure he, he deserves the most targets. But unless unless it's Zachariah Branch just truly breaking out from the pack here, I can't say that about anyone else in that group that man, they they should be just fed the ball over, at the expense of everyone else. And you mentioned Michael Jackson the third, Kyron Hudson. We didn't even talk about hasn't had the biggest start yet, but had a big camp. So on and on, I am going to co-sign on that point. Yeah, and I asked Lincoln uh, in one of our radio shows recently, and he said it's, he prefers it this way. He prefers just where it doesn't matter what jersey numbers get in the ball; it's just call plays and show your 
you're uh, still strategizing matchups and whatnot, but it's uh, it's 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 easier as a play caller in this in this regard. And on that note, it'll move to my fourth one. Um, I'm kind of realizing mine are somewhat negative, but I think uh, <laughs> a lot of the positives we already knew. So the negatives are for me at least sometimes more of the the learnings. But uh, I think 2023 is going to again be a year where the tight end is not a critical part of this offense um i think lincoln riley would probably disagree with that comment he'd probably say oh we, we need the tight end uh in our run game and all that which okay i i get that but in terms of if you're game planning for this usc offense the tight end position is the last position you are talking about when you're facing usc and i say that in the context of again keep in mind that when lincoln riley was at oklahoma they were they frequently had great tight ends they had h-backs at times and that was a part of their run game uh in the rpo game and the whole deal and it feels like that hasn't happened for sc yet not to say that lake mccree is not a good player i don't think that's that that's not what i'm saying i think that it shows how strong the receiver position is but in terms of calling plays for the tight end in terms of hey what's deuce robinson i know at least for me i was you know, was he going to play tight end? Obviously now he's, he's just a receiver so far this year. But does that grow? We'll see. But right now he doesn't have a role at tight end. Like McCree is, you know, is the go-to tight end to start. But again, not a you're not calling plays for him per se. And I think uh, two years ago uh, when it was Graham Harrell's last year here, you know, Lake's, Lake showed signs of, oh, wow. I, mean, I remember saying on this podcast of, well, you put Lake in Lincoln Riley's offense. Like, there could be some uh, explosive elements there. That could be fun to watch. And um, it hasn't unfolded that way. Again, not because Lake's not a good player. I just think there's other options that they can go to. There's other concepts that they like better. And uh, it's only a matter of time before Lincoln gets a – and, I mean, it's probably on the roster with Deuce as he as he gains more weight. But as the years go on, I – I would be willing to bet behind the scenes Lincoln wants to do more with that tight end position. I think there's more there long term. Haven't seen it yet. And by all accounts this season, I don't think we are going to. And the tight end position is just going to be a uh, a, uh, a serviceable position, but not a game changing position for this offense. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my running commentaries, jokes. I don't know what you'd classify it as, but. Every year there are two storylines that will undoubtedly get forced upon us, not by the team, but it's by the it's just the nature of, of beat coverage of college football. Every August or every spring, or both, you're gonna get the story about how the offensive line is so close because they hang out off the field together. They eat together. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. It's it's tried yeah. it's tried and true. Someone's going to write that story every every year, and then the other one is that is this the year the tight end gets more involved in the passing game, and you know as <laughs> as maybe just a, a curmudgeon the old veteran of the of the job. I've, I I saw it coming this year, and I said nope. I'm not I'm not going there. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna endorse this. I know what's going to happen. It's the same every year. It's like Charlie Brown getting the football pulled out from him uh, by Lucy. They've been saying that, Ryan, since even before you were here. I remember Randall Terf- Telfair, Xavier Grimble. It was always, we got to get the tight end more involved. So that, as you said, that's that's even there's more data than even before you got here. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. So, I, I mean, I, I feel bad because, I mean, we talked to Lake McCree in August, and, and he was talking about how he sees a lot more opportunity for, for targets this year and, in my head, I'm thinking I see a lot more receivers than 
you're accounting for. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I, I will co-sign on that point, and, and maybe that changes uh, in the future because, again, like you mentioned, Lincoln Riley has had those guys, Mark Andrews being the most famous of that bunch, but it's not going to happen this year, and uh, it, I, I will not be the one to uh, to announce it's going to happen anytime in the future until it does. So good one there. My fourth is uh, there's some real questions about this offensive line. And that was even before Gino Quinones' season-ending lower leg injury last week. Uh, as Lincoln Riley announced Tuesday, Quinones is out for the year, which I don't know if people realize, you know, just right off the bat how substantial that is for this team. They don't have a lot of depth at guard. They have more depth at tackle. I feel better about having to fill or, or lose a guy at tackle than I do at guard, where they were already rotating those two guard spots to the first two games, trying to figure out who's our best five here. And it wasn't about center, and it wasn't about the tackle spots. It was about finding those two guards. And Gino had started the first game, came up the bench in the second game, but was clearly a guy that was in that top seven top seven or eight for the unit and is now done for the year. So they're going to have to have Jarrett Kingston lock in at right guard and just, just be the, the guy that he was expected to be coming from Washington State. And they're going to have to have either Emmanuel Pregnon. Quick aside, it's actually a French pronunciation, like Pregnon. But there you go. That'll test you. It, 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 well, so much so that Emmanuel himself uh, told USC that Listen, everyone's just going to watch the pronunciation. Just tell them it's pregnant. So he he waved Dang. the white he waved the white flag on that himself. So <laughs> okay, I'm going to take pride in pronouncing it correctly. So I'm going to watch Ooh. watch the film after this. Okay, all right. I look forward to that. But uh, either Emmanuel P or Alani Noah, the true freshman, are going to have to stabilize that left guard spot, and I imagine that they'll continue to rotate. But if more injury strikes, I mean, there's some real concern there to the point where we may have to get creative with it, where the strength, like I mentioned, is at tackle, where you have Jonah Monheim as the best lineman in the group at left tackle, and then you could make a case arguably for either Michael Tarquin or Mason Murphy to be the starter at right tackle. Both those guys got a lot of praise in, in fall camp as being two of the most improved. They both played through two games. Could one possibly move inside? I mean, obviously, Monheim is the most logical fit for a guard spot, but he's your best lineman, so you probably don't want to move him off left tackle. Do you do you try and move Mason Murphy inside if the need arises? Because I, there's just not a lot of depth there. Uh, beyond the guys we mentioned, Andrew Malek is probably the, the next guard, but he's never really played meaningful snaps, and so you just don't know what you're going to get until that happens, if that happens. But either way, I think this offensive line has more questions than maybe people assumed after the transfer portal pillaging where USC brought in three presumed starters there and everyone thought, okay, we're, we're good now. We're deep. We got, we're eight deep here or whatever it was. I think there's more questions there and that's even before anything else happens. And if, I mean, at some point someone's gonna have to miss a game somewhere and it's going to be even thinner than that. And, and all the while, Justin Dietrich is still transitioning back to center. He he has not had the clean his first two games. He acknowledged that himself. He had some some penalties. He he was he was playing too fast. He said, 
there's been some snap issues. So across the board, this is not a polished unit, which uh, is a little concerning because it was pretty reliable last year. I think it's all, all, uh, all well said. Well, <laughs> Offense line's interesting this year, where it feels like you're not in, in years past. You're almost like searching for who's going to be that like good starter. It feels like you have options. It's just a matter of do you have guys that can be just great and not just average and serviceable, which yeah. I think is just a different mindset than the past. Um, and uh, yeah, my last one, I'll turn over to the secondary. And again, I didn't realize how negative mine are, but uh, we're rolling with it. Um, I I think we've learned that we do not have a difference maker at the secondary this year, um, which might sound harsh. Uh, I know Caleb Bullock was, you know, getting first round buzz, but candidly, I just think between Devon Jackson, Sayer Wright, Caleb Bullock, those are really good college football players. Don't get me wrong. You can win a championship with those guys as your secondary. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I don't, when I, when I watch the film, I don't know if anyone in that bunch can go and, and, and change the game for you and um, be something where when you're in offense and you're game planning, you're like, man, we got to watch out for that dude. And um, in the context of the passing attacks that we're going to play this year, um, in, in the context of all the quarterbacks we have this year, I think that's worth uh, saying. And if people are, are hearing me say that and saying, Max, what are you talking about? Kalen Bullock's right there. I need, I need to see more. I, I, I do. I think, um, again, I think he's a, a, a really good um, college player, but I haven't seen, like in years past, when you're looking out there and Adoree Jackson's just blanking in half the field. When you're looking out there and even at times – Iman Biggie Marshall is being physical on the outside. When you're looking out there, I'll, I'll go back and TJ McDonald's getting active in run game frequently. When you look out there and Sua Cravens is doing the same exact thing and, and you can feel that sense of them coming down to the secondary position and, and, and being a being a force that opposing offenses have to account for. I don't think the secondary is there yet. At the end of the season, I could very well be wrong. I think there's certainly a world where they grow into that. Um, you see the you see the foundation, but it hasn't happened yet. Especially for me, with how much buzz um, you know some of those guys got in the off season. To me, this is kind of a a reset type of comment. And yeah, that that's where I'm at. And hopefully, I'm wrong here in uh, in, in two months, and we look back and uh, you know Caleb Bullock's in, in the conversation for a first round first round draft pick. It's definitely fair. I mean, he he does he flashes. He has the flash plays. He had the the great pass breakup on the sideline last week where he came, you know, from the middle of the field or all the way across and and jumped up and batted the ball out of bounds. But on a consistency level, there's certainly more to be desired there. And whenever I talk about Kalen Bullock, I feel like I'm always talking about projection. I'm always just talking about how good he can yeah. he can be. Uh, so your point your point there is valid. But the cornerbacks, definitely not definitely not a uh, a true star uh, emerging just yet. And with Damani Jackson, you see the athleticism and the speed, but he's had a, a bit of the, uh, the ITS syndrome for the first two games where he's right in position to make a play, but hasn't gotten his head around to see the ball. And so he's getting beat on coverages where he's, he's right there. He's like four inches away from the receiver but if you're not aware of the ball, then it doesn't really matter. 
So, and that, and that could be something that, that changes very quickly with him as he goes through this first full season. So definitely not levying any kind of verdict on Damani Jackson yet. I'm just saying, to your point, to this point, there has not been uh, many or any true just stars in that secondary. So I concur. My last one is the linebacker logjam. Coming into the year, we expected Mason Cobb and Eric Gentry to be those guys. And the question was, how much run does Tackett Curtis get? Like we know he's going to play some, but, but how many snaps does, does he get? Does he eventually win a bigger job as the season goes on? Well, he started the first two games as a true freshman. So that's been a surprise. Even for as much hype as I gave Tackett Curtis, it was still surprising he's been like the, the main guy for the entire linebacker core. And then Rajon Davis. The question was, man, is he gonna is he gonna get a chance this year? Is he gonna get any any real opportunity? And he starts last week and has a huge game. And I would expect that he probably starts this game. It's just my hunch, and can really can really earn himself a, a true role the rest of the way. Shane Lee. We wonder is he gonna be the odd guy out uh, with with Cobb uh, coming in and with Tacky Curtis's emergence, and he was the first game, but came out, uh, rose to the occasion last week, had probably his best game as a Trojan, and is now a guy that certainly has shown that maybe he has grown from last year and deserves more opportunity. So at full strength, you got five guys there that all have a compelling case to be on the field and get playing time. Will we ever get all five at full strength? That's a different question, but it's a much deeper group than I thought, and it's a, it's a different situation than I expected. I thought it'd be pretty clear-cut uh, with Cobb and Gentry playing 80% of the snaps and then the rest of the guys filtering in uh, beyond that. But at this point, I think it's clear that Tackett Curtis is going to be a major factor there. And uh, we had a question on the board about Curtis and, and why he's getting so much playing time. I mean, obviously, take the injuries out of it. They just, I think the projection is that he could be the total package. He can be that guy that is one of the biggest thumpers and the hardest hitters in that group, but also has some of the best speed to cover sideline to sidelines, to get lateral, to keep pace with these slot receivers and, and, and whatnot. Whereas it seems like for the last handful of years, they've had guys that were either one or the other. They were either the, the good run stuffer or that was at least their their strength, or they had some speed and agility, one or the other. I think he's potentially the the, the total package, and that's why they're going to give him all the time possible to develop into that this year. But, yes, uh, just the overall linebacker situation is a lot different than I expected, and that is my final takeaway. Wouldn't surprise me if the sentiment on the linebacker room changes every every couple of weeks. Um, just with that position, obviously gets hurt a decent amount, and there's just a lot of great football players in that room, um, which is a phenomenal problem to have. Linebackers are very easy position to rotate in, and uh, a lot of a lot of great players for sure. Yeah, and another stark difference from last year when there was just zero depth. So uh, all these things are are trending in the right direction. Okay, so before we go, we got to obviously talk about Stanford. Uh, first conference game Saturday in the Coliseum. Lincoln Riley's already put out the the plea for it to be a full house Saturday night. We'll see. I'm definitely intrigued. Uh, I'm intrigued by the attendance storyline all season long, and obviously, I knew the first two games wouldn't wouldn't be sellouts given the opponent. 
but I am intrigued if uh, it starts ratcheting up significantly from here. Stanford, as you mentioned, uh, won its first game 37-24 for Hawaii. Maybe surprised some people given the very lowly projections for this Cardinal team, uh, a team that is obviously finally, well, not finally, but is transitioning away from the David Shaw era after a long, long time to Troy Taylor, who comes in from Sacramento State. You might know Troy Taylor was at Cal for a handful of years and was a high school coach in the state for for a, a good long while at Folsom High School for from 02 to 15, was in the co-OC at Eastern Washington, was the OC at Utah in 17 and 18, and then at Sac State as head coach last three years where he went 30 and 8 over three seasons, nine wins, nine wins, and then 12 and 1 last year at Sacramento State. Max, general thoughts about Stanford, about Troy Taylor, about where this team's at. Yeah, Troy Taylor, um, known for his offensive mind. He was part of that uh, Cooper Cup Eastern Washington squad um, that lit the FCS world on fire. And then I, he kind of parlayed that into the Utah gig and then obviously Sac State and never never looked back. I thought this Stanford team would be terrible um, this season. They lost a t- they lost pieces to the transfer portal and they, given this academic standards, struggle to replenish those standards. But in that first game, the offense was more explosive than I thought. Their quarterback's going to be Ashton Dan. Daniels, much more of the running wildcat guy in years past, seems to have developed as a, as a passer. So I think Stanford's going to move the ball. They have EJ Smith, that running back. Um, Benjamin Urosik is going to be one of the best tight ends USC faces this year. So even with the offensive scheme change, he's still out there. Um, but again, this is a game that USC should take advantage of. Stanford's very thin at defense, defensive front seven. But, uh, again, I would have thought this would be an absolute blowout a month ago. I think now it'll still be – I guess it'll still be a blowout, but it will be uh, at least respectable in the uh, in the first quarter with a team that's uh, in, in rebuild mode right now. Ashton Daniels in the first game was 25-36 of 36 for 248 yards, two touchdowns, and rushed for 42 yards. And I think any mobile quarterback gives USC fans terrors, given that we still don't have a – true read on this defense yet how improved it is from last year i have to imagine there will be a few third and longs that get busted that have everyone screaming for alex grinch at some point on saturday uh you mentioned ej smith didn't get a lot of run in the first game casey filkins led the team with six carries for 67 rushing yards Eurosic nine catches for 138 yards and a touchdown john humphrey is still there at receiver like you said, they lost a lot through the portal, especially on the offensive line. So that was kind of the big surprise with that just doomed the whole offense. Didn't in the first game, but that was versus Hawaii. Uh, the other guy to mention is David Bailey, the former top 100 highly rated prospect out of modern day at the edge rusher spot. He had three sacks, four tackles for loss total in that first game. And certainly a name that USC fans remember because it was a USC Stanford recruiting battle and that was one of the ones that really stung for the Trojans when they, they weren't able to get him. Of course, that was right when Riley and staff came in in December, so there wasn't much time for them to, to rally and, and, and salvage that one. But uh, nonetheless, David Bailey, a local talent who is uh, looking like he might have a breakout season for the Cardinal. But overall, I wouldn't adjust the expectations for Stanford too much based on one game. Uh, that They are still 
pretty thin on, on talent and personnel across the board. And unless Troy Taylor is truly a wizard and working magic, then uh, it should be a, a transition year, uh, a rebuilding year for them. With all that said, Max, let's close with predictions. What is your prediction for USC Stanford? I got 48-14. I think it'll be uh, respectable in the first quarter, and then USC USC runs away. Yeah, I have 47-24. I, just, okay. I, I imagine we might have some fresh uh, defensive commentary after this game when it doesn't go perfectly and everyone starts uh, fearing the worst and panicking. But that's just par for the course. And we can discuss all that next week. Of course, next week is a bye week as USC has two buys this year because they played in week zero. So they get the week three bye, which is after, yeah, they played in week zero. So this is the third game. Week three is actually next week. It's very confusing. We'll come back nonetheless and break down the Stanford game and any other storylines that emerge between now and then. As always, Max, enjoyed it. Thanks for your time. It was fun. We'll be back next week. That is our show. Thank you for listening. We are back next week breaking down that this USC-Stanford game. Uh, I will be actually flying to Georgia to watch USC quarterback commit Julian Lewis in person. That's how I'm spending the bye week. But we will also have a podcast. So be back here next week, and we'll see you there. Thanks.